Hello everyone, Eric Uzwa here with the Summons from Gallifrey podcast. This is a regular podcast that takes a look at the classic British television science fiction series, Doctor Who. I hope your new year is off to a decent start. It's now February 2022 as of recording this. And I don't know, depending where you are, it's either the same, a little worse, a little better than last year. At any rate, I now have a website for the this podcast over on Transistor FM. The URL is summonsfromgallifrey.transistor.fm. So take a look whenever you have a few minutes. I've also got a newsletter started up over at Substack. So the address for that is summonsfromgallifrey.substack.com. So the idea there is that when you sign up, you get regular updates and notifications about the podcast right to your inbox. It's pretty cool. If you haven't already, please leave a rating and review for the show wherever you get your podcast. It really, really helps the algorithm with spreading the show around and helping make others become aware of it. All right. So, in today's episode, we are going to be taking the time machine back to 1982 at the beginning of season 19. Already we have some major changes, not just the fact that we have a new doctor in Peter Davison, but the show up until then was always broadcast weekly on Saturday nights, and now it's been moved to Monday and Tuesday evening. From what I can gather, the show's schedule was basically voluntold by the BBC, with nobody in the Doctor Who production being too happy with it, for a very good reason. It quickly negated any tension built up in any story, episode 1 and 3 cliffhanger, as you only had to wait 24 hours for any resolution compared to 7 days, which you previously used to. Christopher H. Bidmead wrote Castrovalva, but had left the show as script editor with Eric Sayward taking over. Due to some scheduling shifts in the production schedule, Castrovalva was actually filmed third after some of the other stories in the season, which kind of gives Peter Davison a chance to warm up to the role so that he appears really solid in this opener. To refresh the viewers' minds of where things left off, there was a special replay of the Legopolis prior to the launch of Castrovalva. Another change to the Doctor Who intro theme with the Starfield intro is using Peter Davis's face there instead of Tom Baker's. Not sure if I mentioned it during my episode on Legopolis, but I really wish the show had waited on changing that that whole Starfield uh, intro from Tom Baker's classic tunnel until Peter Davison came on the scene. By that point, they already knew that Tom was going to be leaving the show. So it, I think it would have been just a nicer you know, like a real change, having a, a different show intro with the new Doctor. But whatever. It is what it is. It just would have been a really nice separation. Okay. With some of that background out of the way, let's get started on the synopsis. Let's pick it up in episode one. We cut to a cold open of the show picks up right where Legopolis left off. Peter Davidson, still wearing Tom Baker's uh, robe and uh, scarf, sits up, gives the camera a smile, and then it cuts right to the intro music. When we get back, the group is trying to haul the doctor back to the TARDIS. All we hear throughout the Pharos Project um, compound is an alarm going off and guards running everywhere. They make it within sight of the TARDIS before the Doctor collapses to the ground. The guards catch up to them and they want some answers, as you might expect. They leave the Doctor alone, but they take Adric, Nissa, and Tegan away. An ambulance pulls up and two guys in suits, which just looks really strange in seeing this in 2023, but, or 2022, but suits, they run up to the Doctor, they put, him, put the Doctor on a stretcher, and carry him back into the ambulance, putting him into the back. While they're doing this, they've put Adric, Te- Adric, Nissa, and Tegan against the side of the ambulance, and they've started to frisk him. And I'm saying frisking in air quotes, because they're they're very careful to uh, 
not frisk, not not get too physical with uh, Tegan and Nyssa. Um, Adric, they don't mind patting all the way down, but uh, the two the two women, they I mean they barely touch. It's like their hand just goes over their back, and that's it. That's w w whatever. It, the, you get the idea. I mean, the idea is that they they're frisking them. While the guard is frisking Nissa, Tegan spots the keys left in the ignition of the ambulance. How convenient. Adric starts to create a distraction, and he gets all the guards' attention around him by telling him, telling them that he knows where eSpace is, which it, he starts pointing up in the sky, and they all look up. Suddenly, the ignition of the ambulance turns over, and Tegan's at the wheel with Nissa beside her, driving away. They drive back to the TARDIS, but Adric is stuck with the guards. Tegan stops, and they pull the doctor out of the back and rush him into the TARDIS. As soon as they get inside, the doctor just bypasses the cons console room and heads right to the interior of the TARDIS. Nissa knows how to shut the door, but that's all she knows how to do. They both turn on the scanner to watch Adric struggling with the guards holding him down. But there's some really cool electric guitar strumming music here for these scenes. Really neat background music. Suddenly, as they're watching on the scanner, the Master's TARDIS, the Roman pillar that he had in at the end of the Legopolis, materializes and zaps all the guards in the area to knock them out. Tegan and Nyssa open the door and they rush out of the TARDIS, just as the Master's TARDIS dematerializes and they find Adric. They, he's pretty groggy, so they grab him and get him back into the TARDIS, closing the doors behind them. Adric gets to the controls, and he then switches on the dematerialization, and they take off. Meanwhile, Tegan comes back into the control room, telling everyone that the doctor is looking for the zero room. Adric overhears this, and he tells the girls that he'll go help the doctor. He leaves the in through the interior door, and he starts following a trail of clothing that the doctor is peeling off behind him. He follows along the, the, the trademark doctor's long scarf until he runs into the doctor himself. He's pretty unsure of who he is, but as he and Adric start walking further into the TARDIS, the doctor is explaining that a zero room is a completely neutral environment, balanced from every external force. Hence, zero room. Basically, zero impulses. I don't know how, how you, zero forces. This isolation can really help speed up the regeneration healing process. As they're talking, he's run out of scarf and he takes off a shoe and starts to leave that behind. Meanwhile, Tegan and Nyssa are in the control room trying to figure out the different panels of the TARDIS console. Tegan starts getting upset that they could be in trouble during the flight and won't have anyone at the controls who understands what's going on. She starts panicking a bit until Nyssa talks her down, which, just as an aside, we can stop right here. It, it just feels a little weird with this um, sort of panic attack coming from Tegan. She's, remember that she's just finished flight attendant school training. She's probably been in quite a few simulations on how to manage emergencies and how to uh, help help passengers manage emergencies. So it kind of maybe would have made a little more sense if Nissa was the one slightly freaking out with Tegan talking her down, but didn't work out that way. But she does come up with a good idea that they need to find some kind of flight manual. Nissa thinks that they should leave the control room and go find the doctor. So just as they're about to leave the room, Tegan spots a flashing light on the console. Looking closer, it's a input screen with the words TARDIS Information System, or TARDIS IS, TARDIS IS. I don't know. It as soon as you see it, you can definitely tell that it feels like an IT system. I wonder if like the, the main recommended support article is to turn it off and turn it back on again. Meanwhile, Adric and the Doctor are heading further into the TARDIS. The Doctor is ripping up pieces of his vest and he tries to make a joke, sort of in the spirit of the second Doctor. You can almost see him emulating the mannerisms of Petra Troughton, which is pretty cool.
Nissa is looking for some main index file, to which Tegan makes a joke about needing to find the main index file to find the index file. She catches herself and dismisses it as being silly. But then Nissa makes a pretty, a pretty insightful comment about Tegan demonstrating an example of recursion. She explains to Tegan where procedures fall back on themselves. I wonder if that's going to come in handy later. Let's find out. Tegan has a good line that her father used to say that if is the most powerful word in the English language. Her face changes as then she realizes that if also stands for IF, an abbreviation of index file. Back with the Dr. Nadrick, the doctor is continuing his impression of the second doctor, but he's becoming a little bit more panicky. He starts referring to Adric as Jamie and tells him to go back before it's too late. He's worried that the regeneration is failing. Back in the console room, Tegan and Nyssa are happy. IF worked after all, and they found the main index file. Nyssa wants to look up destination settings, so Tegan punches in DS. Some output comes on the screen telling them that they've departed from Earth, Pharos Project, and are heading to Hydrogen Inrush, Event 1. They decide to leave the room together again to find the doctor, and they start following his scarf thread. It's kind of hard to tell at this point, but they, Tegan is also using her lipstick on the wall to create a trail, another breadcrumb trail for them, which is a pretty good idea. Right on, Tegan. Meanwhile, Adric and the doctor split up somehow, and they're each headed off in a different direction. The doctor passes a mirror in the middle of nowhere with his famous cricket player outfit hanging on a coat stand, the jacket part. And the hat, I guess. He picks up a cricket bat, and he is looking in the mirror, and he notices another door behind him. He opens it up to see that it's full of cricket gear. Bats, balls, and those shin guardy things, and I don't know. I'm not, you could tell I'm not a cricket player. I really don't know much of the lingo, uh, but I do recognize the equipment when I see it. So that's about all I do know. I know enough about it to know that it's cricket. The doctor, the doctor closes the door behind him. Nissa, for some reason, is picking up his clothes as she and Tegan are making their way further into the TARDIS. I don't know why. It, it, there's no explanation, but whatever. Um, so it, it's a good, a good thing that Tegan is using her lipstick on the wall. As Adric is looking around for the doctor, we see someone watching Adric himself kind of like in a little small view screen. And we find out it's the Master, who's been observing from his TARDIS this whole time. Dun dun dun. I'll try to explain how he's doing this later, but the show doesn't even really explain it, so... Good luck. Good luck to me. Anyway. The Doctor finishes changing, and he steps out of the room wearing his beige striped pants and white vest. He puts on a beige overcoat on the coat rack, and then he puts on the beige hat. So, I, it, just as another aside, uh, this is kind of the introduction of John Nathan Turner's concept of a uniform. Uh, it became a pretty big deal for him during his uh, production years, when he, when he started taking over the production for Doctor Who, that uh, he felt it would have been better, he, it would have, he felt it would have been better if the Doctor character comes up, each Doctor character comes up with their own uh, quote-unquote uniform, uh, and to some degree, even the uh, assistants, companions, sorry. Um, which makes a, a, a change from a lot of their adventures in the past, where the perhaps the Doctor would always be wearing the same thing, but then the companions would be wearing different clothes just about every story. So I'm, I'm wondering if this has something to do with the cost uh, the wardrobe cost of creating different costumes for each of these stories uh, for every season. Maybe he wanted to cut cut costs here and just have a single uniform that they use. At any rate, this is the first time this is in use, and this is the Fifth Doctor's beige outfit, which I think works, uh, to me, it looks just fine. looks really well. Very identifiable anyway. Okay, that was a lot of rambling. Um, let's see, where are we?
as he's looking at himself in the mirror, he's fixing the hat, and he hears a, lar a loud, like, it's like a humming whoosh sound. The doctor looks up right away, recognizing them as the sound to the doors of the Zero Room. He takes off in the run, and he bolts past Tegan and Nyssa, who then follow him, and they all end up in the Zero Room, which is a large, empty room, colored in a pinkish-gray aura. I, I don't know how to describe it. The doctor immediately calms down, and he tells him that he needs he only needs to stay there while his brain heals from the regeneration. Tegan snaps her fingers, realizing that zero room means that it's cutting out all interference, the, to which the doctor agrees, and he yawns, wanting to rest. He uses his mind to lie down horizontally in the air. As he's falling asleep, he starts to talk to Tegan and Nyssa without moving his mouth. He says he's going to need all of their help. Tegan has the skills to be the group's coordinator, while Nyssa has all the ability to handle anything technical. The doctor then mentions Adric, with his mathematical badge, should be the navigator. Tegan and Nyssa look at each other, too afraid to tell the doctor that Adric isn't there. After he falls asleep, Nyssa looks up and gasps. There's a vision of Adric being held in a large metallic web. He tries to warn Tiga and Nyssa about a trap from the Master, and that he's the trap. He's locked the coordinates of where they're headed in the TARDIS. He's been actually aboard the Master's TARDIS all of this time since Earth, and the Adric that they saw was just a physical illusion. The vision of Adric then dissolves. In the Master's TARDIS, the Master is just chuckling away and marveling at Adric's abilities of block transfer computations. Nyssa decides to head back to the control room to try and figure out the coordinates, while Tegan stays behind to keep an eye on the Doctor. As Nyssa starts to make her way back, she notices on the walls heading back to the console room that the lipstick that Tegan had left is starting to melt. Right after Nyssa leaves, the Doctor wakes up again. He tells Tegan that he feels something is wrong. Suddenly, the cloister bell starts to ring. And if you recall from Legopolis, where they first introduced the cloister bell, it's like basically a giant resonating alarm bell. The doctor tells Tegan that there's imminent danger for the TARDIS. He asks who's in the console room, and he tries to get an answer out of Tegan as to where Adric is, but she stammers and delays, and finally he gives up and tries to head out of the Zero Room. He collapses as soon as he steps one foot out of the room, so Tegan drags him back inside, and then she leaves to go help Nyssa. Nyssa's back in the control room, and the TARDIS IS screen is flashing a big warning. Approaching Hydrogen Inrush Event 1. Environment Beyond Engineering Tolerances. As Nyssa is reading up on Hydrogen, there's these, this heat wave effect throughout the TARDIS. Basically, you're, there's like some weird uh, heat waves showing on the camera, and it's supposed to give you the impression that the temperature has gotten out of hand in the TARDIS console room now. She's reading a passage about hydrogen being a crucial element during the creation of the universe. Nyssa finally realizes what the trap is that Adric was referring to. They're in a time machine and heading backwards in time towards a massive hydrogen inrush, back to the biggest explosion in the history of the universe. The doctor has stumbled out of the zero room and trying to make his way towards the console room. There's a big jolt and everyone falls to the ground where they are. Nyssa turns on the scanner to see the master waving goodbye at them. Farewell, my friends. Farewell forever. And then he gives us his trademark evil laugh. Cliffhanger. That wasn't too bad. I did have to say it was a little bit weird that Nyssa would have to look up what hydrogen was, seeing as how she's the scientist. But I, I guess it's to finally, f finally force her to realize what I think the audience figured out like 10 minutes into this episode what was happening. Um, so yeah, finally Nyssa gets on board. 
that they're heading towards the event one, hydrogen in rush. Episode two. Nissa closes the. Oh wait. Before I get too far into that, I just wanted to go back and talk about Adric and the Master. So at the end of Legopolis, Adric had figured out that the block transfer computations method that the mathematics that Legopolis was using is a way of creating structure out of mathematics. And it's not really clear how, but I think the intention, the, the leap you ha we have to make here is that because he knows all about math, he suddenly has picked up about how to create matter out of mathematics using these block transfer computations. So the master has kidnapped him, he's got him, he's got Adric in a web in his TARDIS, and he's forced Adric to create a, um, a, a version of, of Adric a block uh, via block transfer computations, which had then gone into the TARDIS with Tegan and Nyssa to set the controls, blah, 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 blah. But in reality, it's he's been inside the Master's TARDIS this whole time. I'm just re-explaining it. I didn't find it was quite so obvious when I watched this, but maybe others who watched it are, you know, duh, of course that's what's happening. So, um, anyways, let's go on. Episode 2. Nyssa closes the scanner. She's lost on what to do next. Tegan is convinced that there's that they can figure this out. After all, they figured out how to find the TARDIS databank. More on that TARDIS databank later. Meanwhile, the Master is laughing while watching the TARDIS spin towards Event 1. Adric is trapped, like I mentioned, Adric is trapped in this metal web just above chest level of the Master. It's a really unfortunate camera angle and positioning that this whole set is just really unfortunately done. Uh, the master needs to deliver his lines while staring up right at Adric's crotch, which it, it just it it doesn't look well no matter how you no matter how you frame the shot. At this point I even totally forgot what the master was talking about. Something about you know having revenge on the doctor, it must have been something like that. Anyways, back in the TARDIS, the Doctor is trying to get up again when an empty electric wheelchair rolls towards him. He climbs in and he starts using the joystick to move the wheelchair towards the control room. Nyssa is mentioning to Tegan in the control room that they've been pulled into a massive whirlpool of forces that they can't escape from. Tegan starts to try and brainstorm since humans have been regularly escaping the pull of gravity. She comes up with the idea that they need some kind of rocket thrust, some extreme propulsion to generate this thrust. They can't do much at the moment as the increasing heat is locking up all of the TARDIS controls. The doctor suddenly bursts into the console room in the wheelchair. Tegan starts, wants to return him to the zero room, but he starts spinning in a circle excitedly as a big burst of adrenaline in his system is improving his cognitive skills. He starts talking very fast because he doesn't know how long he's got until the adrenaline wears off. He sketches on a piece of paper what Nyssa needs to do to unhook the automatic control of the TARDIS and move to manual. Nyssa leaves the control room, pulls open a panel in a wall, and we see this ridiculously giant oversized arrow uh, that needle arrow that on a on a dial that Nissa turns counterclockwise, I think it is, to adjust the from automatic to manual. I'm kind of surprised it wasn't just like a a giant lever with automatic and manual labeled on it. But anyways, um, this looks just as weird. Uh, back in the console room, the doctor is trying to explain to Tegan how to reprogram the architectural configuration of the TARDIS. Basically, Tegan is getting her earlier brainstorm wish. By reprogramming the architectural configuration, they can delete rooms which can hopefully generate enough thrust to escape the hydrogen inrush. Tegan repeats this back to the doctor. She's barely grasping what's going on, but she is trying her best. And an, another great quality which I liked about the Fifth Doctor is that he's really patient with his companions most of the time. And so he's, 
patient with her right here. He's promising future lessons on uh, exploring more of the TARDIS and everything else, which is a fantastic quality, I think, of the Fifth Doctor. He's young and energetic, but he's not totally impatient, which is cool. The Doctor again tries to find out what happened with Adric, but Nissa and Tegan ramble on a bit, which again distracts him long enough to not worry about it. They have to work fast, as once a star field reaches critical mass, they'll be shut into the inrush and they won't be able to escape. The adrenaline is really quickly wearing off, but he focuses long enough to calculate that they'll need to jettison 25% of the TARDIS to generate the necessary thrust. As he sits back down in the wheelchair, Tegan and Issa raise one more last question. How can they be sure that they don't jettison the control room? The doctor leaves them with an ominous side effect, an ominous warning about the side effect of turning things to manual control, and then passes out. He tells them to check with K9 and then passes out. And rightfully so, they have no idea who K9 is. Meanwhile, back in the Master's TARDIS, the Master is trying to convince Adric to join forces with him. He would find himself a lot more comfortable. Or would he prefer to be in the web for all eternity? I mean, some kind of choice. Jeez. Back in the Doctor's TARDIS, Tegan and Nyssa are monitoring a countdown timer to pushing the room configuration button. I, I don't know why. I think just for drama's, drama's sake right now. I don't see any other explanation for not just immediately pushing the button and getting their thrust that they need. But the timer is set at 30 seconds. Tegan's finger is hovering over the button and she's starting to freak out a bit again. She's becoming paralyzed that over the thought that the console room itself will be deleted. Nyssa again calms Tegan down by telling her how she helped, she helped herself realize that she can be paralyzed by what she knows of science and that sometimes it's necessary to turn an if into a fact. Meanwhile, the timer reaches one and Tegan presses the button. As the master is watching, there's a bright flash. The master bids the doctor goodbye and congratulates Adric on siding with the victor. Adric is really hamming it up here, explaining that the doctor was obviously doomed. I mean, he's, it's really un unbelievable, even to our ears. Uh, I don't know anyone in the audience who would have immediately thought that Adric honestly switched sides. Um... I mean, it's very similar to how Adric behaved back in, uh, oh, what's that story with the vampires? Ah, it's going to drive me nuts. Oh, State of Decay. That's what it was. It's very reminiscent to how Adric was sort of written as switching, quote unquote, switching sides during State of Decay. It wasn't totally believable, but uh, it was necessary in order for the plot to kind of move forward. And in this case, it, the same kind of thing. The Master confesses that it's almost too bad the Doctor didn't escape the hydrogen inrush as he had laid another trap ready for the Doctor. Back in the TARDIS, Tegan is going through the databank again to see if there's anything helpful to guide regenerations that aren't going so well. She comes across an entry that describes some uncomplicated physical locations that can be far more effective than a zero room. One of these physical locations comes up next in the databank. Castro Valva. While Nyssa is wheeling the doctor back to the zero room, she's trying to describe Castro Valva to him. Nyssa tells him that Tegan's fairly confident she can set the coordinates and get them to Castro Valva. The doctor highly doubts it. Since the TARDIS is still on manual control, it's a lot more difficult. You can't just throw a switch. And of course, we cut to Tegan throwing a switch in the console room. The doctor is definitely convinced that someone else is piloting the TARDIS. They finally make it back to the doors of the Zero Room, and Nyssa flings them open to reveal nothing but a wall. Gasp, shock, who would have thought? It was part of the 25% that was jettisoned trying to escape the hydrogen inrush. I think everyone could have seen this coming. Uh, the Doctor's still in quite a bit of pain, but he tells Nyssa to use his sonic screwdriver to start taking apart the doors of the Zero Room. 
the doctor then puts himself back in his trance. Back in the control room, Tegan is excited but nervous. They're hovering over Castrovalva, and she's crossing her fingers about landing the TARDIS. And again, similar to Legopolis, it's not clear if Castrovalva is the city or the planet. But whatever. I'm, I'm too nitpicky sometimes about these stories, right? She hits another switch, and the TARDIS lurches at an angle as it lands. Nissa isn't quite sure what to do with the doors once she has this, the screws out, thanks to the sonic screwdriver, and one of them falls over near the doctor. He, he briefly wakes up and he congratulates Nissa on trying to build a mini zero room with what they have left. Tegan struggles to move against the extreme angle that they've landed at and she sticks her head out of the TARDIS doors. They're in some kind of peaceful forest. She manages to climb a tree, to a nearby tree, to look for Castrovalva. Meanwhile, Nissa is struggling to put together the zero room coffin trying to balance the entire thing across the doctor's wheelchair so that they can move it. She's in the control room and putting the final touches of it together as Tegan returns explaining that she's seen Castrovalva. It's only about half a day's walk away. The doctor promises to help them by levitating within the coffin, hopefully making it lighter to move. It's a weird it's a it's a weird kind of gimmicky thing where the doctor can only open and close a section for his face to stick out from the inside. Of course it's going to be a plot device later, but whatever. Tegan and Nissa debate whether to get help or not from Legopolis, not Legopolis. Tegan and Nissa debate whether to get help from Castrovalva, but they end up getting started and pushing the wheelchair with the zero coffin on it towards the city which is really impressive as they're both in heels. I mean, talk about amazing. And I mean that seriously, not sarcastically. I don't know how any, anyone could do it in heels. After a while, they pass a stream and they're feeling unsure of the direction again. Suddenly the wheelchair slips out from underneath the coffin and rolls down a bank into the stream. I mean, I'm saying coffin, it's not an actual coffin, of course, it just, it really looks like a coffin. A zero room coffin. Nissa retrieves the chair but only after falling into the stream herself. They then discover she then discovers that basically the water has ruined the the electronic gizmos of the wheelchair. So they just each pick up an end and start carrying the coffin. While they're all doing this, they don't notice someone moving through the forest watching them. After another passage of time, Nissa again is questioning their direction. Tegan is getting a little bit annoyed as this, as they're both huffing and puffing while carrying the Zuroom coffin. It's definitely getting heavier. They can't go on anymore, so they put it down and cover it with some brush as they spot Castrovalva on top of a cliff nearby. They decide it'll be easier to try and get help. They reach the bottom of the cliff face, but they don't see any way up to Castrovalva. They then look around for a bit before deciding to return to the doctor. Maybe he'll have an idea what to do. As they return to the zero coffin, Tegan bends down noticing a big pool of blood on the grass near the coffin. Nissa runs over to the coffin and the door thing is open and the doctor is gone. Cliffhanger! And no, that's not the gimmick of the zero room coffin. We'll get there. Nissa reminds us that only the doctor could have opened the zero coffin from the inside. They realize there's a trail of blood, so they start to follow it. After a while, they're suddenly surrounded by several figures dressed in furs and wearing masks with lots of colorful feathers who are waving spears around. They make a run for it and find themselves back at that cliff face of Castrovalva. This time, Nissa spots the doctor who's already making his way up the rock ahead of them. She shouts doctor a few times, and the doctor hears her and turns around, but he doesn't know who this quote-unquote doctor is. Tegan and Nissa hide in some brush as they see the fur figures carrying the zero coffin. Further up the cliffside, the doctor is watching another fur figure party and trying to stay out of sight when the coffin-carrying party comes up behind him. 
He's soon surrounded. They start asking who he is, but he confesses that he doesn't know. They blow this big horn, and a door opens in the rock face, where the whole group proceed to go through, including the doctor. Tegan and Nyssa run up just as the door closes behind them. Who could have predicted that? Okay, I'm being too sarcastic. Inside, the group is leading the doctor through a small medieval-looking town, going through a courtyard. There's some women starting to stare and point at the doctor, curious who he is, and everyone is dressed in this period medieval clothing. It's a... I mean, it's very... The clothes are very nondescript, but you can tell right away that it's supposed to be some kind of medieval environment. The furry dudes are all standing around a pig being roasted on a rotating spit. One dude, all in black medieval clothes, comes up to the doctor, and we find out his name is Shardavan. The rest of the group are still wearing their masks, but Shardavan tells the doctor that he is the librarian of Castrovalva. As they're talking, the rest of the group all pull off their hunting masks to reveal normal dudes all dressed up like Shardavan. They talk for a little bit back and forth, and then they walk the doctor to his room. One of the men who were hunting, named Murgrave, who we find out much later is runs the town apothecary, mixes a herbal drink for the doctor, and tells him to rest. They decide that he, the doctor needs to see the portrait the next day, and they all leave the room, bidding the doctor good night. The doctor is still studying the drink in the glass when a much older man appears in the corner of the room. The doctor guesses that it's the Portrieve, who smiles and tells the doctor to drink the herbal mixture to help him sleep. He gulps it down and he starts to lie back. He then asks the Portrieve if he'll find the doctor during his visit. The Portrieve tells him that yes doctor, it'll be very soon. He then underscores that by leaving the room telling him good night doctor. The doctor just smiles, goes to sleep. Meanwhile, throughout all this time, Nyssa and Tegan are climbing the cliff face as they see no other option to get to Castrovalva. It's fairly dark outside by now, and as they're taking a rest break near the top, a small rope ladder drops down from above them. Shardavan is walking into the courtyard when one of the men rushes up to him, telling him that two more strangers have arrived by climbing up the cliff. Who are these supermen, he asks, just as Tegan and Nyssa walk into the courtyard, arguing with one of the men about the doctor. He just raises his eyebrow as Tegan demands to see the doctor. Shardavan agrees and tells him that they can see him on the way to their room. Murgrave leads Tegan and Nyssa to the doctor's room to show him that he's alright, he's just sleeping. Meanwhile, they're talking, they're whispering back and forth about Adric. Tegan thinks that they need to tell the doctor about him as soon as possible. Meanwhile, as they're heading off to their own room, meanwhile, back in the doctor's room, Adric suddenly appears from that corner of the room that the Portrieve was in, and he walks towards the doctor's bed. He watches him for a few moments, and then he goes over to the door and steps out of the room. The next morning, while Tegan is still sleeping, Nyssa is sneaking out of the room and checking around the, the main courtyard when she suddenly spots two men carrying the zero coffin. She runs after them and tells them to return the coffin to the doctor's room. I do have to say that the show is very careful to not let anyone refer to this as the coffin. It definitely looks like a coffin, but they don't, they don't refer to it that way. I think box? If I remember right, this, no, that doesn't sound right. Uh, blah, blah, blah. She runs after them and tells them to return the coffin to the doctor's room. The doctor is still sleeping as Nyssa opens the door and quietly enters the room with the, the two dudes carrying the coffin. They quietly put it on a table and they leave with Nyssa closing the door behind them. She looks in the full length mirror beside the doctor's bed, and jumps a little as she sees Adric. Adric tells her not to turn around, and she, he starts saying that he's got to talk quickly because the master will find him. He warns Nyssa that she mustn't 
tell anyone that she's seen him, and that the doctor needs to stay until his regeneration is complete. Just as Nyssa turns around to face Adric, he disappears. Poof! Right then, the doctor wakes up feeling nice and refreshed, even remembering Nyssa's name, which puts a smile to Nyssa's face. Sometime later that morning, Teague and Nyssa and the doctor are finishing up breakfast with the Portrieve. Shardavan enters the room with some more books for the Portrieve and agrees to take Nyssa and Tegan to see the library. The doctor stays behind to look at, the ta look at a tapestry that the Portrieve wants to show him. It's some kind of image-slash-slideshow tapestry. As they're looking at it, 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 it's hanging on the wall near a fireplace. And as they're looking at it, it starts to show pictures of events from the previous day, such as Tegan and Nyssa carrying the Zero Coffin. It's a little bit too bad that these photos weren't like gag outtakes from the production. That would have been hilarious. You know, like the doctor sitting up in the coffin giving a, a, a thumbs up or something like that. Um, <laughs> anyway, I know it totally would have ruined ruined the the atmosphere of this totally ruined the atmosphere of this of this story of this science fiction fictional fake story but um i think it would have just been hilarious uh, the doctor wants to examine the tapestry closer but the portrait reminds him that his visit there is to avoid anything technical the doctor smiles and makes a comment that he didn't mean to cause so much grief for his three friends the Portrieve does an old man double-take. Three friends. He's only counted two. The doctor is trying to remember Adric, but he's either counting Tegan twice or Nyssa twice on his fingers. So he's saying um, that he's there. he's been there with Nyssa, Tegan, and Nyssa. Or Tegan, Nyssa, or Tegan. Basically trying to remember Adric. Meanwhile, Tegan and Nyssa exit Shardavan's library with a humongous stack of encyclopedia-sized books. I mean, it's ridiculous. I, I counted 15 volumes between the two of them. And Tegan's got this, it's hilarious, Tegan's got this biggest smile on her face. And along the spines of these books, we've got, we've got it written, The History of Castrovalva. I mean, 15 volumes at least. But Tegan sounds totally enthusiastic about diving into them. Like she sounds itching to go. So they're heading back to the doctor's room. Meanwhile, the doctor is wandering through the courtyard, unable to count past two. He keeps counting one finger, then two fingers, and then he stops. A small girl notices his trouble and runs up to him, telling him that the next number is three. And then she proceeds to count four, five, six, seven, and the doctor asks her to stop as it's making him dizzy. He tells her that she needs a badge of mathematical excellence. He then looks up, and you can see right away that he's remembered about Adric, and he takes off running. Tegan and Nyssa are in his room, piling through these books. I mean, they're just, they're buried in these books. It's a, it's a great effect. I, and they're both, like, really studying it intently. Like, it's not just, you know, a board flipping through these encyclopedias. I mean, they're really reading it. And more about the truth of the, on those later. It's pretty funny. Um... Anyways, Tegan is really digging what's going on. The door bursts open, then a doctor runs in, demanding to know what's going on with Adric. Nyssa confesses about the recent visit from Adric, which also surprises Tegan, and the girls then finally tell the doctor what happened. A short time later, Shardavan is talking to Murgrave, who tells him that the three strangers want to leave Castrovalva. Shardavan is not happy at all to hear this and wants to prevent them from leaving. The doctor, Tegan, and Nyssa get to the courtyard where there's a bunch of women doing the laundry. He asks them which way to the nearest exit, and they all point in a different direction. The doctor and Tegan and Nyssa discover that no matter which exit they take from the courtyard, they end up coming back to the courtyard. The doctor starts to panic that Castrovalva is folding in on itself. They race back to the doctor's room, only to discover that the Zero Coffin is gone. The doctor looks out his window overlooking the courtyard and sees that someone is manipulating Castrovalva, causing recursive reclusion. We're caught in a space-time trap. 
the visual effect here is not the greatest. They tried to cut together various shots of Castrovava to kind of make it look like it was a recursive, uh, for lack of a better for, uh, description, a, a recursive scene. So basically, um, it's a very difficult thing to portray. And that's where we have our cliffhanger. It's a really neat idea for cliffhanger. It just it it doesn't quite look so good. The doctor stumbles back to his back to his bed while trying to calm his mind down. He asks Tegan and Nissa to find the zero coffin right away. It's imperative. Nissa thinks the portrieve would know as they leave the room. The doctor takes the full length mirror near his bed and pulls it over to the window, turning it around so that the reflective surface is facing outside. He opens up one of the volumes of Castrovalva's history, and a page falls out. A page of handwritten notes. He scans it and mysteriously comments on how odd this is. He puts this page of notes in his pocket just as Murgrave opens the door to his room. Tegan and Nissa keep walking around the courtyard following their guide to the portrait, but are getting ag agitated. Tegan asks them why he can't see that they just keep passing through the courtyard. Nissa pulls Tegan aside and whispers to her that if they're part of the recursion, then they won't know. They're up on this uh, balcony area of the main courtyard, and conveniently right next to them is this telescope pointed downwards. So Nissa runs, walks over it and takes a look at the, um, at the fountain where the women are washing the laundry, and then she pulls Tegan over to show her. And Tegan looks through, and we see that the women are using the zero coffin to hold all of the laundry. Back in the doctor's room, the doctor hands a piece of chalk to Murgrave and tells him to draw a big square on the back of the mirror, which Murgrave then does. He then asks Murgrave to draw him a map of Castrovalva, of which Murgrave is only too happy to do so. Back in the courtyard, Tegan and Nissa are blaming Shardavan for appropriating the zero cabinet. That's what it was, zero cabinet, not zero coffin. Well, I call it the zero coffin, but they refer to it as the zero cabinet, and trying to conceal it from them. They finish emptying out all of the clothes, and Tegan and Nissa start carrying it back to the doctor's room. Meanwhile, Murgrave has finished making a pretty detailed sketch of the town. The doctor asks him to mark his apothecary. Murgrave then starts to make four X's on each north, east, west, south edges of the map before looking up and realizing what he's saying. Nyssa and Tegan enter the room with the zero coffin and Ruther close behind them. He was their guard, their guide that was leading them around trying to find the portrait when they found the telescope. That was Ruther. Murgrave gives the chalk to Ruther, and the doctor asks him to mark the Portreeve's house on the map. Ruther proceeds to mark the map with four more X's, again on the north, east, south, and west sides of this map, before realizing himself how odd that is. The doctor is still thumbing through the books of the history of Castrovalva, convinced that they're all overlooking something, including himself. He says the book threading and covers are legitimately 500 years old, but the contents of the book themselves are all fabricated. Tegan blames Shardavan right away. Ruther and Murgrave are in shock, as this is their official history. There's a lot of talking and gossiping outside the doctor's door, so Murgrave steps out to try and quiet everyone down. And he, I mean, incredibly condescending. The whole attitude of the males in this medieval city, by the way, medieval Castrovalva, is uh, the males are in charge, giving the females all the all the orders, all the commands. Uh, so the the women are doing the laundry and presumably the cooking, and the the men are doing whatever the men are doing. But the way Murgrave talks to them, he's you know, claps his hands together and he's like, ladies, quiet, please. You know, like he treats them like uh, like school kids almost. Uh, anyway, the doctor is in his zero coffin 
and they all agree that Chardavan is hiding something. The doctor still wants to visit the Portreeve. As the doctor gets ready, Tegan escorts Ruther and Murgrave back outside the room, which causes even more consternation with the gathering crowd of women. And then Shardavan, I mean, it doesn't help. Shardavan walks up saying, this isn't a holiday. What's going on? <laughs> I mean, oh, it's cringe. Murgrave tells them that they're going to visit the Portreeve. Tegan and, Tegan and Nyssa come out of the doctor's room carrying the zero coffin. Shardavan wants to help, so Tegan very reluctantly lets him carry her end of the coffin. They form this long procession to go see the Portreeve, with Murgrave and Shardavan holding up one end of the zero coffin, and Ruther and Nyssa carrying the back, and behind them as are all the group of women who are all curious about what's going on. As they reach the courtyard, Tegan demands her corner of the zero coffin back from Shardavan. He gives it up and stays there as the procession goes on past him. He then looks over and he spots a hand waving him over. Shardavan goes to investigate, and it's the doctor who demands to know what's going on. There's some back and forth between them, and it turns out that Shardavan himself has been suspecting that the history of Castorava has also been fabricated for a while, based on the handwritten notes that the doctor had found. The books, they, they both realize at the same time that the, while the books are 500 years old, it details the chrono chronology of Castrovalva right up to the present day. Shardavan agrees to take the doctor to, to the Portreeves via a secret shortcut that he knows about. Meanwhile, Nyssa whispers into Tegan's ear that they're carrying the 30-volume history of Castrovalva in the zero-room coffin. They all make it to the Portreeve's room and put the coffin on the table. The Portreeve starts to ramble about how the tapestry has the power to build and hold in space, whole worlds of matter, and how he's contented himself with one small, simple town. Then as Murgrave and Ruther are watching with their mouths hanging open, the Portreeve straightens himself up and reveals himself to be the master. Even Nissa and Tegan back away in surprise slash horror. It's actually a really, really well done reveal. While the master has been playing the Portreeve, he's hunched over uh, with, you know, old man wig on and, and clothes, and he looks very, very convincing. The master reveals that it's his Castrovalva. Nissa counters that there must be a real Castrovalva as it was in the TARDIS data bank, but the master tells her that Adric entered the data by his command. As the master is talking, Nyssa elbows Tegan and points to the tapestry. It's showing the doctor trying to climb into the window with the help of Shardavan. Tegan tries to distract the master when there's a crash of the window breaking. The master tells Ruther and Murgrave to go investigate. They find the doctor and Shardavan and at first try to bring the doctor back to the master, but Shardavan intercedes and tells Ruther and Murgrave that they've all been betrayed. They must help the doctor. Meanwhile, the master is trying to break into the zero coffin, despite Nyssa trying to re-explain re the principles of strong force interaction. I mean, it sounds kind of goofy, while the master is waving around this really giant crowbar. The master finally looks at the tapestry to see more images of the doctor sneaking around, but he laughs as he picks up the zero coffin and throws it to the ground, finally smashing it open to reveal all the volumes of the history of Castrovalva. The doctor runs into the room and tears away the fabric of the tapestry to reveal the web with Adric stuck inside. Shardavan, who is out of sight, is watching this from the top floor. The master explains his web is powered by Hadron energy, keeping everything in balance. Shardavan quietly grabs onto a chandelier, and he swings down, crashing himself into the web. There's a surge of energy as the web is broken, and Adric falls down. And the master, oh, the master gives out this, My web! Falling to the ground on his knees. But as the doctor rushes in to grab Adric from the web, 
the master runs into the fireplace, which is actually his TARDIS, and it dematerializes. The doctor urges everyone that they must leave immediately, as Castrovalva will collapse in on itself. As they're running through town, it's looking like it's coming apart to the doctor's eyes. But Murgrave is still part of the fabrication, so everything around him still looks normal to him. He leads them to an exit from the courtyard, but the group just comes back to the courtyard again. So then Murgrave becomes alarmed that things are starting to fall apart for him too. They see the Master's TARDIS fireplace rematerialize in the courtyard. The space is collapsing too quickly for him to leave either. Adric announces that he can find the exit. He looks right and then points left. They run in that direction, each holding hands. They've made it to the tunnel that leads out of the cliff. Murgrave then leaves them to stay behind and block the Master from escaping. The doctor begs Murgrave to come with them, but all the townspeople are clawing at the master. The doctor, Adric, Tegan, and Issa make it out of the tunnel entrance just before the door closes behind them. On their way back to the TARDIS, they look behind them to see that Castrovava has vanished from the top of the cliff. They get back to see the TARDIS angled sideways. Tegan is pretty proud of her landing job due to her following the instructions in the databank to which the doctor tells her that there is no data bank. Adric had pre-programmed the coordinates all this time. And with his trademark smile, the doctor feels absolutely splendid. And that is the end of Castro Valva, my friends. As always, let's go through the episode viewing numbers before we go on. Episode 1 pulled in 9.1 million, 8.1 sorry, 8.6 million for the second episode. Episode 3 was 10.2 million, and episode 4 was 10.4 million viewers. Definitely huge for an opening story. So I do have a few problems with Castrovava, and let's maybe get into that. The first issue I have is that the story in general is written in a way that demonstrates how inept the master must, must think of himself. Um, it's a very strange kind of story because while the idea about this trap within a trap is really interesting, um, we kind of saw hints of that in Legopolis when the master materialized around the police box first before the doctor got there. But the whole concept of Castrovalva is that the master has prepared all this knowing that he, or figuring that his OG plan at Legopolis was going to fail. So given the amount of effort required in pulling everything off, this was definitely not an easy pivot for the master during the final scenes of Legopolis. So it's it's kind of unclear as to when the master was planning the was planning Castrovava or even uh, the event one in Rush. But, uh, again, whatever. Uh, it also wasn't a bulletproof plan, as it entirely relied on Tegan or Nyssa, both of which are new to the TARDIS, to locate this TARDIS manual that Adric had programmed in. So maybe the Master had another fallback for that which we didn't see. Like, after a period of time, there would be like a pop-up alert on the TARDIS scanner to point them to either Castrovalva or to the TARDIS manual, etc. But it really shows how evil the Master is. Generating a massive 700-page document for Tegan to read through, and then later, as if that wasn't enough, generating a 30-volume set of encyclopedias. And these, these weren't encyclopedias filled with Ipsum Lorem text. Like, these were engaging encyclopedias that Tegan was really going through, going nuts over. Uh, like I mentioned, Anthony Ainley gives a fantastic job as a portrait, great makeup, and he changes the stature to not give anything away. The reveal is done pretty well. Um, starting with his first appearance in The Keeper of Traken, the show tended to rely on an anagram, 
whenever the master was going to show up, kind of like a, a hint for the audience, a hint for the fans. Uh, so in Keeper of Traken, his original name was Tremas, T-R-E-M-A-S, which is just master backwards, which kind of fits because Tremas was, for, for all the good that Tremas was, is how evil the master is. Kind of flip there, if you see what I mean. Uh, and the Portrieve. So the Portrieve in the credits is played by Neil Toyne, which is a anagram of Anthony Ainley. Uh, they do this for the next few stories uh, where the master shows up. But again, I go back to my comments in my coverage of the Legopolis story that Anthony Ainley tends to work on a spectrum for the master. Most of the time he's delivering a strong and good performance here, but then he he definitely gets really hammy. Uh, whenever the conversation goes towards his web, his web, um, it definitely gets pretty hammy. Uh, the, the, but the other cool thing, uh, which I kind of glossed over right at the end, is that the final shot of the townspeople trapping the master is actually pretty gruesome. Uh, they're, they're, they're clawing him, like they, they've reverted to clawing him to keep him uh, from escaping and they're ripping his clothes off and um, I haven't freeze framed it but I'm wondering if they even went as far as to show like uh, you know scratch marks from them um, you know clawing at him or anything like that but uh, they really do this scene really well uh, it's very effective and uh, they they give you just enough of a glimpse to show you how like his gruesome fate that awaits him But that being said, uh, it's time for my rating, and I give this one a two-volume history of Castrovalva out of five. Um, I thought this story had quite a few problems. First of all, the, they really try to demonstrate the principles of recursion, which is tough. I don't, I don't, um, I don't blame them for. Um, how difficult a task it is to try and show something as complex as recursion in a TV show. Um, but what they did, what what they did end up going with, didn't work out too well. I think if you were a new viewer of Doctor Who, then most of the story would just be so confusing uh, that I I don't know. Maybe some of those ten million viewers, I'm not sure how many were brand new. Um, I admit that Peter Davison is my favorite doctor by far. Uh, well, okay, not by far, but he is my favorite doctor, definitely. He's the he's um, even though he gets some very questionable stories, um, which we may go through one day. But he also has some of the greater stories that I I loved as well. In this one, while Davison really stands out, I just feel that the the first half like episodes one and two were just felt really weak. Um, in the other opening stories of Patrick Troughton and John Pertwee and even Tom Baker, let's just focus on John Pertwee and Tom Baker. See, this is the good thing about going through all of these opening stories because hopefully they're more, more or less current in your, in your memories. In the opening couple of episodes of Robot and in Spearhead from Space, there were kind of two plots, an A and a B plot, kind of moving together through the story. The A plot was the Doctor, you know, regenerating and recovering, but then the B plot was Unit investigating some new mystery. So in Spearhead from Space, it was these glowy things from space, and in Robot, it was the, the theft of all these top-secret uh, military materials, right? So you kind of had something to bounce back and forth between to to keep your interest. Um, in in Spearhead from Space, they kind of went a little bit too long at the hospital, I thought, which they then fixed up by Robot because Robot it was it was a very quick, you know, Tom Baker was was out of it for not very long in Episode One before kind of falling into the into his place as the Doctor rather quickly. Um, but in this one, it just it just felt so it just felt long, um, and not really very. I don't know. 
it was an interesting idea. I, I, I think it was a, a great idea of, of this trap within a trap. Again, this trap within a trap idea, but there wasn't too much tension. Um, I don't think very many people in the audience would have would have felt really tense during the maybe the first cliffhanger. Um, again, the schedule change was weird. That had a real impact on it, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. But also, since you already know that there's going to be four episodes in this story, and this is the only the very first story of the new season, um, it, it kind of takes away from worrying that anything bad is going to happen to the Doctor or his crew, right? Um at least that's how I look at it. Again, you know, uh, being in the audience during that time, maybe everyone fell for it. I don't know. Maybe they all were wondering, oh my gosh, is the doctor going to die? You know, I mean, come on. But um, but who knows, right? I mean, you know, it's it's an easy, like a part of the, part of what I like about Doctor Who is that it's, it's, it's easy to let yourself get swept up into it. Um, so I forgive people. Of course, I forgive people for that. Um, like it's done, it's done sort of well. Um, the dialogue is pretty good, but it it just feels I don't know. It just feels a little bit clunky during episodes one and two. It does pick up marginally better when they all get to Castrovalva, but that's only because they're all acting off of each other. And I've always liked the way that Adric and Tegan and Nissa, more Adric and the Doctor, work together. Um, not so much Tegan and Nissa, not as much as I like Adric, but I mean, that's just me. That's just my opinion. At any rate, it wasn't the strongest of opening stories, but here we are, opening story, Castro Valva. And that was today's episode, my friends. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you had a lot of fun as much as I did going through this. And I am totally looking forward to our next story, to our next episode, sorry where we are going to cover the fifth doctor's regeneration story called the caves of androzani and i'm i'm not even going to hide it i'm not going to make you wait for my review this is a 5 out of 5 story this is an excellent specimen of doctor who material it's you'll see when we cover it but it's i just thought it was amazing the very first time i saw it i knew you got that feeling when you're watching this that this one is is above average than most of them. And by the time you get to the end, you're just like, wow, that was pretty good. That was really good. Um, anyway, it's too bad we get the twin dilemma right after that. <laughs> oh, boy. It's like a five out of five followed by a one out of five. Oh, it's, yeah. Twin dilemma is painful, my friends. Um, but Caves of Vandrazani, let's enjoy that one. That one's going to be a treat. I hope I can present how great a story that is to you. Anyway, I hope you had a really good time tonight. And please leave, uh, like I was saying, uh, leave leave a review and rating for this show. Uh, find the summonsfromgallifrey.substack.com newsletter. Sign up. Drop your email in there. And uh, I'll be dropping the occasional uh, newsletter out as I go through the recordings of all these episodes of the podcast. Have a good evening, and we'll see you next time. Peace, everyone.